listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's reading, you can do so by visiting the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group on Facebook, and there you'll be able to interact with other listeners and followers. Now, let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her holy example and life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 161, and we are reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 15, Paragraphs 547 to 551. 547. So powerful were the effects of this delightful intercourse with her Son and true God that she was more and more spiritualized and made godlike. Many times in these flights of her soul, the force of her burning love would have torn asunder the ligaments of her members, and destroyed the union of her soul and body. If she had not been miraculously comforted and preserved, she spoke to her most holy son secret words so exalted and full of weight that they cannot come within the range of our expression. All that I can reproduce can never be anything more than a mere shadow of that which was manifested to me. She said to me, O my love, sweet life of my soul, who art thou, and who am I? What dost thou wish to make of me by thus becoming man of man, lowering the greatness and magnificence in favor of such useless dust? O, what shall thy slave do to pay the debt of love which she owes to thee? What return shall I make for the great things which thou hast done to me? Psalm 115.12 My being, my life, my faculties, my feelings, my desires and longings, all is for thee. Comfort thy servant and thy mother, in order that she may not fail in thy service at the sight of her own insignificance, and in order that she may not die for love of thee. Oh, how limited is the power of man, how circumscribed his capacity, how insufficient is human affection, as it cannot sufficiently render a just return for thy love. But the victory of mercy and magnificence must always be thine, and to thee belong the triumphal songs of love, while we must, on the contrary, always consider ourselves overcome and vanquished by thy power." Let us be humiliated and let us grovel in the dust while the greatness is magnified and exalted in all the eternities. The heavenly lady, partaking of the signs of her most holy son, sometimes beheld the souls which in the course of the new law of grace were to distinguish themselves in divine love. 
the works which they were to perform, the martyrdom which they were to suffer, in imitation of the Lord in this knowledge, she became so inflamed with love, and her longings of love caused in her a greater martyrdom than those actually suffered by the saints. To her happened what the spouse in the Canticles mentions, Canticle 8.6, that the emulations of love are strong as death and hard as hell. To these agonies of the loving mother caused by the mortal wounds of divine affection, her most holy son answered in the words there used. Place me as a sign or a seal in my heart and upon my arm, causing in her at the same time the full understanding of these words, as well as their actual fulfillment. By this divine suffering, most holy Mary was a martyr above all the martyrs. Among such beds of lilies, the meekest lamb, Jesus wandered while the day of grace began to break and the shades of the ancient law receded. The divine child ate nothing during the time in which he was nourished at the virginal breast of his most holy mother, for this milk was his only sustenance. This was most sweet and substantial since it originated in a body so pure, perfect and refined, and one built up in exquisite harmony, without any disorder or inequality. No other body was equal to it in healthfulness, and the sacred milk, even if it would have been preserved a long time, would have remained free from corruption by a special privilege. It never changed or soured, though the milk of other women immediately degenerates and becomes corrupt, as experience teaches. 5.49. The most fortunate Joseph not only witnessed the favors and caresses which passed between the child and its mother, but he himself shared in others which Jesus deigned to confer upon him. Many times his heavenly spouse placed him in his arms. This happened whenever she had to do some work, during which she could not hold him herself. As, for instance, when she prepared the meals, or arranged the clothes of the infant, or cleaned the house— on these occasions, St. Joseph held him in the arms, and he always felt divine effects in his soul. The child Jesus showed exterior signs of affection by his pleased looks, by reclining upon his breast, and by other tokens of affection, usual with children in regard to their fathers. But in him, these tokens were always tempered with kingly majesty. Yet all this was not so frequent in his dealings with St. Joseph, nor with such endearment as with his true virgin mother. Whenever she left Jesus in his care, she received from St. Joseph the relic of the circumcision, which the latter ordinarily bore about with him for his consolation. Thus both the two were continually enriched, she by holding her most holy son, he by his sacred blood and deified flesh. They preserved it in a crystal vase, which St. Joseph had purchased with the money sent to them by St. Elizabeth. In this, they had enclosed the particle of flesh and the sacred blood shed at the circumcision, which had been caught up in the pieces of the linen. The opening of the vase was encased in silver, which the mighty queen, in order to preserve the sacred relics, more securely had sealed by her mere command. Thus the silver opening was more firmly sealed than if it had been soldered by the artisan who had made the vessel. In this vase, the prudent mother treasured the relics during her whole life, and afterwards she entrusted it to the apostles, leaving it as an inheritance to the Holy Church. 
In this immense sea of mysteries, I find myself so annihilated and dumbfounded by my ignorance as a woman, and so narrowed in my powers of expression, that I must leave much of it to be fathomed by the faith and piety of the Christians. Instruction which the Most Holy Queen Mary gave me. 550. My daughter, in the foregoing chapter, thou hast been instructed not to seek information from the Lord by supernatural means, neither in order to relieve any suffering, nor in order to satisfy a natural hankering of curiosity. Now I exhort thee likewise not to yield for any of these reasons to the desire of performing any exterior action according to the promptings of nature. For in all the activity of thy exterior faculties and senses thou must seek to moderate and subject thy inclinations, not yielding to them in their demands, although they may have the color of virtue or piety. I was in no danger of going to excess in these affections on account of my sinlessness, nor was there a want of piety in my desire or remaining in the cave where my most holy son had been born and had been circumcised. Yet I did not wish to express my desire even when asked about it by my spouse, for I preferred obedience to this pious inclination, and I knew that it is more secure for the souls and more according to the pleasure of the Lord to seek his will in the counsel and decision coming from other rather than in their own inclination. In me this course of action was advisable only on account of the greater perfection contained therein. But in thee and in other souls who are subject to error in their judgment, this rule must be observed most rigorously, so as to prevent and avoid mistakes diligently and discreetly. For in their ignorance and pusillanimity, men are easily carried away by their feelings and inclinations toward insignificant things, and very often they occupy themselves with trifles, as they were important matters, and with vanities, as if they were realities." All such activity weakens the soul and deprives it of the great spiritual blessings of grace, enlightenment, and merit. 551. This doctrine shall thou write in thy heart, together with all the others which I am to give thee. Seek to use it as a reminder of all that I did, so as thou hast come to know it, thou mayest also understand and execute it in thy life. Take notice of the reverence, love, and solicitude, the holy and discreet fear with which I converse with my most holy Son. I always lived in this kind of watchfulness, and even after I had conceived him in my womb, I never lost it out of sight, nor did the great love which he showed me diminish it in me. In this ardent desire to please him, my heart found no rest, until it was entirely united and absorbed in the enjoyment of this my highest good and ultimate end, excepting at certain times during which I rested in his love as in my sole joy." I invariably carried about with me this continual solicitude, like one who restlessly pursues his way, and who permits himself not to be delayed by anything that is useless, or hinders the attainment of his desired object. So far was my heart from attaching itself to any earthly thing, or from following the inclination of the senses, that I lived as if I had not been composed of earthly substances." If other creatures are not free from passions, or do not overcome them as much as possible, let them not blame nature, but their own will. On the contrary, they justly incur the reproaches of weak nature, because instead of governing and directing nature by the sovereign power of the will, they make no use of that power. They allow the natural inclinations to involve them in disorders, abetting it by the free will and using their understanding to find still more dangerous occupations and occasions of ruin. 
On account of these pitfalls presenting themselves in mortal life, I warn thee, my dearest, not to hanker after or seek any of the visible things, although they may appear to thee necessary and most appropriate for the circumstances. Use all things, thy cell, thy garments, thy sustenance, and whatever else of this life, only in obedience and with the full consent of thy superiors, because the Lord requires this of thee. And it is also my pleasure to see thee apply all things for the service of the Omnipotent. According to these great rules which I have given thee, thou must regulate all thy activity. This concludes our reading today for day number 161. We have read from volume 2, book 4, chapter 15, paragraphs 547 to 551. Sometimes it's difficult for me to know as I make my way through the mystical city of God what I might have already shared in a reflection, but if I repeat something, hopefully it's because it's something important or something at least that I find interesting or fascinating. Today again we hear about Mary as a martyr. By this divine suffering, Most Holy Mary was a martyr above all other martyrs. In the Litany of Loretto, we call Mary the Queen of Martyrs, which, in a sense, encompasses the fact that she is the leader of the martyrs as their queen, and that she's the queen of all saints, that she's really the first among all the saints. If we think about our devotion in the church, hyperdulia, that is, the reverence due to the Blessed Virgin, dulia, our honoring of the saints, she is above the saints, so that makes her the queen of all saints. And so if we take that, we can translate it then to the martyrs. The martyrs are saints, and so she's the queen of martyrs. But Mary suffers this martyrdom-likeness. Of course, she doesn't shed her blood. She doesn't die out of odium fide for hatred of the faith. But she dies a martyr alongside her son, in that she suffered with him, was united with him at the foot of the cross. A sword of sorrow pierced her heart. That's a martyrdom that she's experiencing. Suffering is a martyrdom. There are different degrees of martyrdom. There's red martyrdom and white martyrdom. Maybe we could even talk about martyrdom of desire. And so perhaps Our Lady, knowing that the apostles were being martyred, had that desire maybe to die in a similar way. The Lord takes her body and soul into heaven. I think an appropriate question also was asked, what return shall I make for the great things which thou hast done to me? That's a simple question. But if we look at our life, we should be able to say, what can I do for all the good that the Lord has done for me? What return can I make? Well, return your honor and praise and give thanksgiving. Return a life of service to the God who came not to be served, but to serve. And finally, we hear, on these occasions, St. Joseph held him in his arms, and he always felt divine effects in his soul. I want to point out the fact that we can experience divine effects in our soul. Because remember what we pray right before Holy Communion. I'm not worthy for you to enter under my roof. That's, I'm not worthy for you to enter into my being. 
but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. So with every Holy Communion, we experience divine effects in our soul. I know that when I spend an hour in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, I feel the divine effects in my soul. I've shared this already, but by reading the mystical city of God, I remember just driving around one day and I thought to myself, something's different about me. And I came to identify, well, it's because of the mystical city of God. We feel divine effects in our soul through devotion. St. Joseph held the Christ child and felt those divine effects. He lived his life as the guardian and protector of the Redeemer. And so he felt divine effects. God is going to allow divine effects to take place in us. And so we need to notice them and become aware of them. And I'm sure that you will. I thought it was interesting, kind of the exchange of the relic of the circumcision, and we heard more about it, how it was preserved. And just to think about how priceless this relic would have been. And I think that brings home again this this idea of the divine effects in our soul and holding Christ near to us. Because when Mary would give the Christ child to Joseph, Joseph would give the relic of the passion to her. So always close, never separated from Jesus. And that's what relics are. Relics communicate to us the presence of whatever it is. So the relic of the true cross communicates the presence of the true cross. The relics, the bones of the saints, communicate to us that the saints are with us and among us. I always go back to St. Philip Neri. He had a powerful experience praying in the catacombs where all the bones of the holy men and women were. He prayed among the saints. It's why visiting the tombs of saints Praying before their relics is so special. And when we do so, we also will feel the divine effects in our soul. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.